Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us snow. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. The adrenaline type creature. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers. Three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. This time I'm prepared. I'm not laughing. <laughs> right in the uh, beginning of the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'll get you again someday. So, well, Luke has to be here for me to really yeah. die laughing. I, mean, I can't get you like, rolling like that. <laughs> it's just like his his stupidity is just uh, it's just contagious and a little bit to- a little bit toxic too. Yeah, how's it going, Mister Rob? Good. Yeah, real good. I kind of feel off, you know, that doing these on a Monday always like yeah. throw me for a loop. Yeah, it is it is a little weird, but uh, you were working last night. And then the Game of Thrones finale was last night. Right. So. And the Rick and Morty. Yeah, I've never been to it. I, I don't really watch Rick and Morty. You should check it out. So I've been told. <laughs> well, what is it about? Oh, God. It's, it's, an, it's a half hour animated. It's a cartoon. And the fact that it's a cartoon gives them the ability to basically delve into every kind of science fiction topic ever to like a ridiculous extent. Not really spoofing science fiction, but just taking it way further than you would ever be able to otherwise. And it's it's just it's hilarious. It's his grandpa and his grandson and their crazy multi dimensional adventures. But it, <laughs> it it gets into some real like hard like science fictiony stuff, like you know how you would cope with the fact that there's an unlimited number of dimensions and an unlimited number of your family members and like I don't know. It's 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 bizarre. There's this this strange depth to it that like you wouldn't expect to be there. So as it kind of appeals to you as a science fiction fan, yes. 
Does it make a lot of reference <laughs> to like classic or more obscure science fiction? Um, not really. Not in the way of like um like nods to to anything in particular. Just the overall general like you know space robots bizarre like anything like they they've tackled it at some point or another. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's also, I I think, I think you're, you have to be the right kind of person for your philosophies to to kind of mesh with the show. Otherwise, you won't enjoy it either. Yeah, it's very, it's very nihilistic in in a lot of ways. (laughs) Nihilism, gotta love it. Uh, Well, we have Ken Thomas coming on tonight. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, I don't know really what to expect. I've never spoken to Ken before. I've read his book for the show. He actually reached out to us. Uh, he's good friends with with Greg Bishop and oh, okay. reached out to me on Facebook. And he has a book out called Trump Apocalypse Now. And we're basically going to be talking about how conspiracy theories basically got Trump elected, the conspiracy world, and some of the conspiracies that uh, – were used to to get him elected and some of the things surrounding Trump and surrounding the Clintons and Russia and all that kind of stuff. So getting a little bit to the political side tonight, but I also want to talk a little bit to Ken about some of his other works, which I'm hoping to have him back on sometime to go in a little more depth. He's apparently a pretty huge conspiracy researcher. He's written about um, the Maury Island UFO crash Um, He's also written about the octopus, the whole Danny Casolaro thing, uh, the dead journalist. Uh, We talked a little bit about that, I think, with both Jeff Worcester and also with Rebecca Roth uh, a while back. So um, at some point, I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into that. But I thought I'd start off with a little bit of paranormal stuff. Um, Have you ever heard, Rob, of the Teresita Bassa case? Not sure. Okay. I don't recognize that name anyway. Okay. This this is interesting. Um, this is one of those that is not very easily explainable. It's a, basically about a woman that was murdered and essentially came back from the dead and said who it was that murdered her. Okay. This is from a book, one of my favorite books, The Mammoth Encyclopedia of the Unsolved by Colin Wilson. <laughs> that is quite and a fact. Actually, actually um, the first time I ever heard about the Teresita Bassa case, I believe, was on Unsolved Mysteries. Really? So, like, we, you know, back to the Unsolved Mysteries stuff. But this is basically what happened 48 year old Teresita Bassa had been born in the city of. Damaguet, I'm sure I've mispronounced that, in the Philippines, the daughter of a judge. She had become a physical therapist specializing in respiratory problems, perhaps because her father had died of a respiratory illness and was working at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago at the time of her death. Forensic examination postulated that Teresita had answered the door to someone she knew. She had been talking to a friend on the telephone when the doorbell rang. The intruder had encircled her neck from behind with his arm and choked her until she lost consciousness. He then had taken money from her handbag and ransacked the apartment. After that, he had stripped off all her clothes, taken a butcher knife from the kitchen drawer, and driven it virtually through her body. Then he had set the mattress on fire with a piece of burning paper, dumped it on top of her, and hurried out of the apartment. 
The fire alarm had sounded before he had gone more than a few blocks. Uh, she was murdered on February 21st, 1977 in Chicago. Uh, the firefighters came into the apartment. They found this body wrapped up, uh, burned, and to, it looked like it was that it was a. But it was made to look like it was a rape. However, they found out that she was actually still a virgin, and she was forty-eight years old, which is interesting in and of itself. I don't think she was a nun or anything. She was a physical therapist. Um. There was another Filipino woman that worked at the same hospital as her named Remy Chua, which was short for Rimabas, Rimabias. And it goes on. Although Remy, another Filipino, had worked with Teresita Basa in the respiratory therapy department of Edgewater Hospital, the two had been only slightly acquainted. Two weeks after the murder, during the course of a conversation, Chua remarked only half seriously, if there is no solution to her murder, she can come to me in a dream. She then went for a brief nap in the hospital locker room. It was two o'clock in the morning. As she was dozing on a chair, her feet propped on another, something made her open her eyes. She had to suppress a scream as she saw Teresita Bassa looking as solid as a living person standing in front of her. She lost no time in running out of the room. During the course of the next few weeks, two of Mrs. Chua's fellow employees jokingly remarked that she looked and behaved like Teresita Bassa. Her husband, Dr. Jose Chua, also noticed that his wife seemed to have undergone a personality change. Normally sunny and good-natured, she had also become oddly preemptory and moody. Teresita Bassa had also been prone to moods. In late July, this is key, five months after the murder, Remy was working with a hospital orderly named Alan Showery when she found herself experiencing an inexplicable panic. Showery was a sinewy but powerfully built black man with an open and confident manner. When Showery was standing behind Mrs. Chewis, she caught a movement out of the corner of her eye, just as Teresita Bassa may have been when her killer stepped behind her to lock his forearm around her neck, and inexplicably, her heart began to pound violently. She decided that she was suffering from nervous problems and asked for time off from work. That night, her husband heard her talking in her sleep. She was repeating, ow, ow, ow. She told him later that she had dreamed of being in a smoke-filled room. The next day, she felt so ill that she asked her parents to come over. After taking a strong sedative, she climbed into bed, but after a few hours' sleep, she began to babble in Spanish, a language Remy Chua did not speak. Her husband knelt beside the bed and asked, how are you? His wife replied, I am Teresita Bassa. When Jose Chua asked what she wanted, the voice replied, I want help. Nothing has been done about the man who killed me. A few minutes later, Teresita, quotation marks, disappeared, and Remy was herself again. Two days later, Remy Chua felt a pain in her chest, followed by a heavy sensation, as if someone was stepping into her body. She told her mother, who was still with them, Terry is here again. When her husband returned, he found his wife in bed. The voice of Teresita Bassa issued from her mouth, asking accusingly, Did you talk to the police? Jose Shua acknowledged that he had it because he needed proof. Alan killed me, insisted the voice. I let Alan to the apartment, and he killed me. Okay, so this goes on, huh. right? She's claiming that this guy that worked with both her and Teresita Bassa. Yeah. That's crazy. Said that it was him 
that did it, this guy named Alan Showery. Okay. Um, now it goes on. Eventually, the police are are involved, and they come to to speak to Remy, and she keeps insisting that it was this guy that did it that killed this other woman that apparently had been referring to her and essentially had been quote unquote possessing her. Okay. And apparently she was speaking in her voice and all these different things. Uh, a check on showery. This is the police checking up on him revealed that he might well be the killer. He had a long criminal record that included two rapes, each of which had taken place in the victim's apartment. Moreover, he had lived only a few blocks from Teresita Bassa. Showery was brought to the police station and was asked if it were true that he had agreed to repair Teresita Bassa's television on the evening of her murder. Now, one of the things that Remy said was that he, was, that he went over there with the intention or been asked to come over to the house, to the apartment, to repair the TV. And the police had said that they felt like it was someone that she opened the door from someone they knew she knew because there was no sign of like a breaking and entering. Right, right. Um, he acknowledged, meaning Alan, that it was, but that it was, but insisted that he had gone to a local bar for a drink and simply forgotten. Asked if he had ever been in the Bossa depart- apartment, he denied it. Then, when asked for fingerprint samples to compare with some found in the apartment, he changed his mind and acknowledged that he had been there some months earlier. Finally, he admitted that he had been there on that evening of her death, but claimed that he had left immediately because he did not have a circuit plan for that particular television. So his story is constantly changing with the police. Now the suspect was obviously nervous, and the interviewers left him alone while they went back to talk to Yanka. Yanka is his girlfriend. Okay, She recalled that on the evening of the murder, she remembered that because the fire engine had passed her window, Showery had come home early. Asked by the interviewers if he had recently given her any jewelry, she showed them a unique cocktail ring. She was asked to accompany them back to the police station together with her jewelry box. Meanwhile, Teresi DeBasa's two friends, Richard Posati and Ray King, were brought to the station. As soon as Posati glimpsed the ring on Yaka's finger, he recognized it as one belonging to Teresi DeBasa. The two were also able to identify other jewelry in Yaka's jewelry box. Stakula's partner, this is the police, Detective Lee Eplin, confronted Showery and told him it's all over. Showery screamed angry, angrily, you cops are trying to frame me. When shown the jewelry, he insisted that he had bought it, bought it at a pawn shop but had failed to get a receipt. Minutes later, he realized that the evidence against him was overwhelming. He asked to speak to Yanka, and in the presence of the detective said, Yanka, I have something to tell you. I killed Teresita Bassa. He believed that Teresita was rich and that robbing her would solve all his financial problems, but after killing her, he found that her purse contained only $30. In order to make the murder look like a sex crime, he had undressed her and spread her legs apart. Then he had stabbed her with the butcher knife and set the mattress on fire, hoping that the fire would destroy any clues he might have left behind. The voice from the grave case made national headlines. Showery came to trial on 21st January 1979 before Judge Frank W. Barbero, but the story of the quote-unquote possession of Remy Chua was so astounding that the jury was unable to agree on a verdict. The defense also objected that the evidence of a ghost was not admissible in a court of law. Five days later, a mistrial was declared, but on 23rd February 1979, Alan Showery acknowledged that he was guilty of the murder of Teresita Bassa, 
He was sentenced to 14 years for murder and to four years each on charges of armed robbery and arson, of which four years later in 1983, he actually got out on parole. So he's actually free now. And I guess supposedly the speculation is that he's actually still alive somewhere in New York. But so essentially the messages that this lady was receiving from the supposed ghost of Teresita Tabasa, all that information turned out to be correct. That's, so what are your thoughts on that? That's a really interesting case. And I'm sure it's really well documented because, mm-hmm. you know, there was a trial surrounding mm-hmm. it and everything else. And the police were involved. Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know, that's awesome. And he essentially confessed two times. I mean, he confessed to his girlfriend in front of the detectives. And then after the mistrial, he actually pled guilty and went to jail because he knew. I mean, they had other evidence corroborated, obviously. They had the, yeah. ring, they had the <laughs> ring, the other jewelry. It's only a matter of time. Uh, you know, um, it wasn't just all based on the whole ghost case but the ghost evidence i guess for lack of a better term was what they actually brought the police's attention to this guy and it ended up being the right person so that's one of the cases where i look at it and it's just like is that proof is that a proof that 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 well, if, we survive after death, or is there something else going on here? It's proof that bizarre things happen, at least for me. I mean, there's, you know, anything that's got uh, trained observers involved or official documentation or both, you know, like in this case, um, house find extra fascinating. But, you know, it, it could have been, we don't know if this is a psychic thing, if this is a possession thing, or, you know, we don't know what was going on to to this lady, but... Either way, it's awesome. <laughs> it's fascinating. No, what I found interesting, what I found interesting about the case is that both Teresi Tabasa and the lady that she supposedly communicated with, Rimi Chua, were both Filipino. Yeah. So that's interesting in and of itself. Why did the ghost pick someone? Did they just randomly pick someone that was also from their own culture? Uh, is there a, is there something about that particular culture that might lend itself to that? Do other things happen in that culture? That would be the other question to ask. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a sort of a a bit of that prevalent in a lot of, um, like what you call reincarnation type cases as well. Sure. You know, you've got the twins becoming twins, or you've got, like, you know, genders tend to stay the same, I think, most of the time. Race tends to stay the same most of the time. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, if this is coming from our subconscious, we just don't... There's certain details that we our subconscious just doesn't bother to alter or pick up on, or, you know, or if it's, like, a, a correlation, you the more you have in common, the easier it is to maybe connect. I, I don't know, but that, that seems to be the case. Right. A lot right. of the time. Um, so in that context, is it more of a, is, is there more of a cultural thing going on there? In other words, 
would this have happened if it was someone not from, if there had not been someone else from that culture that was at that hospital? And remember, these two ladies weren't, even though they were both Filipino, they both come from the same cultural mix, they didn't really know each other that well. So that's interesting. I, I, I can't explain it. The other thing that I found interesting too was they were talking about how Rimi Chua did not know Spanish. Right. Okay. It's interesting. Now, Teresita Basa knew Spanish. The Philippines were a Spanish colony before the United States took it over. A lot of people in the Philippines have Spanish names. Now, not all Filipinos know Spanish. Um, in fact, a lot of them speak, you know, the other the languages that have been there for a long, long time. But what if maybe she did know some Spanish? Maybe she had learned some Spanish in her childhood. And whatever kind of altered state she was in, she all of a sudden started speaking in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that has been known to happen. Uh, there, was right. a, there was a case of a man who during World War II in Britain was because you remember when the when when the war started they evacuated the children from the London and some of the major right. cities yeah, yeah. because they were afraid of the bombing which later happened well they took this one guy as a child they took him to to Wales and he was in Wales for about a year before he eventually ended up going back to London well he had said that he never learned Welsh, right? But, but then he, one day he got hit on the head. He had heard enough of it that it was somewhere in his head. Yeah, he got hit on the head and all of a sudden he could speak perfect Welsh. <laughs> Almost like the bang on the head accessed the file that was still in his mind. But if he was there for a year, he was probably on the verge of learning Welsh yes, fluently. Especially being younger. Because children, and I know this from personal experience because my stepson was from Brazil, spoke nothing but Portuguese, and then in six months was speaking English. So children begin, they, they soak up things like a sponge even though you don't think they're learning anything. Right. So it's possible that that could have been as well. I'm just looking for other explanations. Right. That still, though, though, would make it more of a psychic phenomenon. Yeah. Right. Because she still picked up on all these details. Right. Um, Did she pick it up because there was a ghost, the actual spirit of Teresita Bassa telling her, or was she picking up on some kind of information field? Right. Yeah. That was in the form of Teresita Bassa. She seemed to feel she was being possessed. Right. But... Which in that culture is probably a common thing. They may feel you know the existence of spirits; those type of things are a common thing. I'm not saying that I disbelieve it because personally I believe in the survival of the soul, but I'm just trying to look at it from possible possibility of another right. another way. That's what I'm saying. We don't, yeah, I mean, we. I'm, I have a pretty good idea that something strange happened in here. In because how case, else could but, you really explain it? Um, the most likely explanation to me and the simplest explanation 
would be that it actually was Teresita Basso telling her what happened and, hey, we're both Filipino. I can relate to this lady. She can help me out. And she actually had, now remember that uh, she actually made the comment that Remy said before she had this experience, almost like she invites it in, she says, Two, it says here, two weeks after the murder, during the course of a conversation, Chua remarked only half seriously, if there is no solution to her murder, she can come to me in a dream. And it was the same night, a little bit later, when she's resting after this hectic shift, that Teresi DeBasa does come to her. Okay, so she was aware of all of this stuff. So she knew something. Well, they knew. They didn't really know each other, but she knew the woman had died mysteriously. Nobody knew who did it. Right. Well, and, she, and I mean, she was sympathetic to her cause, too, yeah. on top of it. She also knew the man who murdered her, who worked in the same hospital, who murdered Teresita. So, an interesting case. Very. But uh, let's get to... Uh, Give him a call and we'll talk about uh, Trumpocalypse now. All right. All right. What do you think, Luke? Oh, yeah. That's right. He's not here. I thought he was here for a second. I said no. Hey guys, back on Conspiranormal, and we have the guest with us now, and we are going to talk about the book Trumpocalypse Now, which has a very interesting cover. I love the cover. Yes, of uh, a Cthulhu-like creature with a Trump wig on it. <laughs> an, octo, an octopoid. <laughs> it's just very, uh, which is very appropriate considering that we're speaking to the, someone that wrote a book about the octopus, although not the type of octopus that you would find in the ocean. That would be Mr. Ken Thomas. Ken, welcome to Conspire Normal. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, that cover, by the way. Yeah, that cover. Uh, by the way, I should should plug the artist Joe Boyer is the guy who did that cover. He's, just, he, he's great. It was his idea. He executed it perfectly. The Cthulhu Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is funny. It is funny. <laughs> just <laughs> and, and, and like I said, very appropriate for like the topic because you know the book goes into so many different avenues. Uh, about conspiracy theory, but before we kind of get into the book, I, I want to talk about you, uh, about uh, how yourself you became interested in the whole subject of con- of conspiracy theory. <laughs> you you want to make me feel like an old man? In other words, <laughs> <laughs> where where did it all begin for me? Uh, actually, it goes way back for me. It goes to high school. My the pathway into the conspiracy world 
was actually through Dustin Hoffman's movie about Lenny Bruce. Okay, great I, movie. I saw, great saw, movie. Yeah, I saw, I saw that movie, and I thought, wow, what a cool guy. Lenny Bruce, who, you know, has been my lifelong hero since then. And his autobiography, his quote autobiography, was actually ghosted by a guy named Paul Krasner, who for many years published a, 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 an underground, 60s underground uh, newspaper satirical work called The Realist. And uh, through Krasner, I was introduced to the writings of Mae Brussel. And Mae Brussel is the grandmother of us all. She's the, uh, the, the goddess of conspiracy theory, the person who basically started the movement. And uh, I, I, so I was, I was introduced to her through, through Krasner. And then and, and after that, I became a great consumer of, of this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And it was a very rich and healthy field at that point. Uh, and I didn't start producing until uh, after May died. She died in '88. Yeah, I told you this was going to be ancient history. <laughs> uh, she she died, and uh, there was another. There was a magazine called Critique that used to publish a lot of conspiracy stuff. That the publisher of that magazine joined a cult, and uh, and then changed the name of the magazine to Sacred Fire or something like that, and had all the homilies of his guru. So that was gone. May Brussels was gone. And I'm like, wow, you know, um, this, all this stuff that was stimulating my, my mind and keeping me educated and entertained about the world around me was disappearing, was drying up. So, um, uh, that's when I started my magazine. Uh, well, actually I'd already published a couple of issues of my magazine, steam shovel press, a couple of small issues that featured, uh, uh, stuff that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a freelance writer and there were some, you know, I would do some pieces that didn't sell anywhere else. So I just put them in my own magazine. But with the third issue, I did call for papers and what reached out to the, um, uh, the conspiracy community out there to get people to write for my magazine and to keep that spirit alive. You know, that, 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 uh, that whole angle on things that, uh, that, that views the world in, you know, ways that are different from, uh, you know, whatever that the mainstream tries to sculpt us into thinking. Was there a conspiracy that interested you uh, more um, than than any other at that point in time? <laughs> well, you know, like everybody who was born uh, before 1963, mm-hmm. uh, the JFK nation was a big one. Uh, so yeah, I started there. Um, uh, the, it, it, it took off more toward, um, uh, studying things like, uh, the conspiratorial angles of super surveillance software, like the promise software after mm-hmm. this writer named Danny Casolaro, uh, died in the course of trying to write a book, uh, called the octopus, uh, about, uh, something called the promise software. That was connected to the inflow scandals of the uh, of the 1990s. He uh, he died. All of his papers wound up at uh, uh, the, the 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 main branch of the university where I work. Uh, so I went down, got his papers, and, and did my best to complete his work to make sure that that book got published. So uh, me and my my writing partner Jim Keith, uh, we produced the Octopus, and that's when I got you know. The magazine, I, you know, I, got, I got some notoriety from the magazine, but when the octopus hit, you know, people people love that book. You know, that's 
that's the cult favorite out there. I get all kinds of praise for that one. So you were to you you worked and knew Jim Keith. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, Jim Keith and I were close friends. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's always been some speculation about his death as well because what was it that he had he had hurt himself going to Burning Man uh, in the late nineties, and then yeah, it was a it was a knee injury. Yeah. And yeah, that shouldn't have led to his death, uh, but uh, the the knee injury caused him to have to go to the hospital, uh, and he suffered a clostridium bacteria infection that led to his death. You know, all that's very very unusual set of circumstances. Uh, and clostridium bacteria was something that he had investigated and written about before. Really? <clears throat> yeah, and and in fact, uh, uh, not long after he died, our mutual friend Ron Bond who was his publisher, ran a press called Illuminate Press, published a lot of Jim's books and uh-huh. uh, a couple of mine. He died uh, after eating a tainted bur- burrito at a, a Mexican place in outside of uh, 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 Georgia, uh, outside of Atlanta, uh, and, he, and that burrito was tainted with Clostridium bacteria. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, any speculation as to why? <laughs> Does well, that... I, you know, our whole community is under uh, uh, assault all the time. I mean, yeah. our, 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 our raison d'etre in life is to expose the corruption of you know, our, our government or of our culture one way or another. And that creates enemies. People don't like that. Uh, now, you know, and I know there are a lot of people, you know, I mean, Danny Cafalero is a good example. Uh, they say he committed suicide, but it's more likely that he was murdered trying to get this information out, you know? And yeah. I don't know if Jim, it, it, you know, Jim, now Jim had a whole bunch of stuff out there. Maybe Jim was, was part of the same team that we didn't want Cafalero to produce the book. <clears throat> We're going to let Jim Keith produce the book. How I got away with it is <laughs> anybody's guess, you know. Uh, so now, now is uh, this bacteria something that's like used in back in in like a like a germ warfare, like biological yeah, warfare? Yeah, well, it is. It is. There, it's a it's a it's a category of bacteria. Clostridium. Is it? There's. It's hard to even pronounce, uh, but it's 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 used in. Warfare and it's naturally occurring. You know, they they find it in cattle mutilation cases. Really, things like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that was my auspicious start of my career. Just uh, totally sunk down right into the the, the dark world of all this uh, assassinations and uh, conspiracy and stuff like that. And, no. Um. um Gary Webb, uh, did you ever have any contact with him or any speculation onto his death? Because, you know, the Jim Keese and Gary Webb's death, I mean, there's some similar aspects there. Yeah, I'm familiar with the similarities. I I had no direct contact with Gary Webb, though. So I I can't say. Uh, You know... um, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the speculation about Keith at the time had to do with Princess Diana, which I noticed there's an anniversary coming up, and yeah. CNN is doing specials about Diana. But uh, he, uh, 
uh, it was shortly after he wrote a column uh, talking about the various conspiracy angles concerning Diana, that she was pregnant and all this other stuff that, that he died. So there, you know, there's been speculation that maybe <clears throat> that's what, what the impetus was. The Maury Island UFO case. Um, this one is interesting because as I understand it, was this, was this 47 that this happened? Yeah. Yeah. It, it happened a few months actually before Roswell. It was the first UFO case in the modern era, in the post-war era. Now, there were two people that were involved that I believe later pop up in the Kennedy assassination. Who, who were these guys? Well, the primary one uh, was a guy named Fred Crisman. Uh, but you, you've heard of two. Because the two main witnesses in Maury Island were Harold Dahl and Fred Crisman. And uh, um, it, according to some researchers, both of those guys, Harold Dahl and Fred Crisman, and a third guy showed up at the Grassy Knoll and uh, were part of the Kennedy assassination. In fact, that's what Jim Garrison believed about Christmas, that he was the Grassy Knoll shooter. But uh, both those guys, Dahl and Christman, uh worked in Puget Sound up there at Maury Island in uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, kind of near Seattle, uh, Tacoma. Uh, and what they did is that, you know, when, the, when there's a lot of lumber trafficking going on up there, and sometimes... Uh, trees will break loose and, and, and go downstream. And uh, these guys work to recover them. There's like, you could get a $25 reward for every tree law you were able to recover. And uh, that's what they were doing. That's what Harold Dahl was doing in this boat in Puget Sound. When they looked up in the sky and there were uh, five uh, flying saucers, uh, one of them was wobbling. And the wobbling ones started spilling some crap out onto the boat. Uh, they, were, they described it as slag, kind of some kind of white material and black material. Some of it burned part of the boat. Some of it hit the dog that was on the boat and killed the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dahl's doll, son, Charles, got hit by some of it, too, and was wounded. Uh, and uh, then, in that circle of flying saucers, one of the saucers tapped the one that was wobbling, it straightened up, and they all flew away. Uh, and so there have been people that speculate that maybe the, maybe the wobbling saucer eventually lost total control and a few months later crashed in Roswell. Uh, and so that's your unified UFO theory right there. But, <laughs> but what happened with Dahl, though, is uh, he reported this. He, he got the, the boat back to shore, and he reported this to the guy who owned the boat, Fred Chrisman. But Chrisman was not on the boat with, that, with the main sighting. Chrisman uh, went down to the docks after he got the story from Dahl, and, he, and by himself, he, he said he also had a sighting. But you know, there's no witnesses. You know, there was never a witness to that. <clears throat> uh, but together, those guys were the, the two main witnesses to this thing. Now, now the story... It gets interesting because Kenneth Arnold is involved. You know Arnold, right? The, yes. The and, and I see yeah, that it, it happened June 21st, 1947. So that's, I think that's just a little bit before his sighting. Yeah. The Maury Island happened a, a, a little bit before Kenneth Arnold's sighting. But, Ken, but, but it was, you know, they did it and they were kind of quiet. It happened and they were kind of quiet about it. 
Kenneth Arnold had become nationally famous after reporting his sightings over Mount Rainier. Right. Uh, Around the yeah. same area. So, yeah. You're right. Exactly. Um, and so he was famous for it, you know, at that point. Uh, and so a guy named Ray Palmer hired him to investigate uh, the, the Dahl and Crisman's claims about Mort Island. Uh, so that's, that's how that worked. Uh, so Arnold went out and he talked to them both. Um, he, he, he picked up some samples of what they called the slag, some of the stuff that had been left behind by the UFO. Uh, and he didn't know what to make of it. And so he called the Air Force, uh, which had just been formed, just the newly created at that point. He called the military, and they sent in a couple of guys, um, uh, Lieutenant uh, Davidson and Brown, who came in, talked to uh, Dahl and Krisman, picked up their own samples. Actually, they had to talk about how Krisman loaded up samples of the of the slag, of the UFO slag left from, from Orion, put them in a Kellogg's cornflakes box. <laughs> and gave that to these to these Air Force officers, who then loaded it up on their plane, and they were going to take it back to Wright Patterson Air Force Base when their plane crashed, and they were both killed. Uh huh. Yeah. So, now, so that whole web of facts there comprises the Maury Island story. <laughs> was it? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Guy Bannister involved with this too? Yes. Yes, Guy Bannister actually had um, had seen a 30-inch a, a flying saucer uh, at around the same time. And sketches of it actually appear in the newspaper. He was an FBI agent in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and he, he he was he was part of this this, this much lesser known sighting. Uh, and what's interesting about that, the, the most interesting recent news about that is that uh, you know how Trump. Uh, accused Ted Cruz's grandfather of being involved with Lee Harvey Oswald, right? You remember, right. remember right. all that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so that so that guy uh, Rafael Cruz is in these, these photographs is with Oswald passing out fair play for Cuba leaflets, um, and and this is a smear, right? Trump is attempting to smear uh, Rafael or Ted Cruz, saying that it's you know, look what an unpatriotic man this is. He's been there helping the, the guy who assassinated Kennedy. And he was which, a communist and all this. Right. And yeah. I, but actually all that was was cover. Oswald was infiltrating the uh, the, the pro-Castro uh, 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 underground there, pretending to be a pro-Castro person because he was working for Guy Bannister. It was a, it, you know, it was a, it was a covert op, and so was Rafael Cruz. They were actually doing their patriotic duty, uh, trying to, you know, infiltrate into the pro Castro crowd to, to subvert it. Which is a point of the thing, not totally, totally missed on Trump, you know, right? Which gets, that, which, gets, which gets to the central idea of the book that Trump, you know, a lot of people, and they're thrown off by the subtitle of the book, The Triumph of the Conspiracy Spectacle. A lot of people seem to think I'm saying, well, cool, we've got one of our own as a president now. He's a conspiracy guy, just like you and me. And that's, that's, not, that's not what the book is saying at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the point is, you know, I mean, Trump doesn't know conspiracy from a hole in the ground. Uh, <laughs> you know, unless, unless, of course, it can serve a political end, you know. They don't make up any conspiracy he wants. Sure. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. let me ask you about that, and just you know, uh, 
uh, as an aside for for Rob, I don't think he may not know some of this, but like Guy Bannister was a uh, well, he was a retired, supposedly retired FBI guy at the time living in New Orleans in '63, and Lee Harvey Oswald was printing these uh, fair play for Cuba leaflets, supposedly passing them off as a pro Castro. Marxist Leninist, as he described himself, and he and but in the same building, but on a different address because it was on a side street. Uh, Guy Bannister had his private eye office up there, so here's this communist working with this guy that's supposedly, you know, ultra right wing American, and uh, this yeah, the speculation is is that they were actually working together. And they, you know, they had to have known each other, huh. which if you've yeah. seen JFK, have you ever seen JFK, Rob? Uh, I didn't pay close enough attention. Ed to Asner's it. character is Guy Bannister in that. Right. Uh, okay. That's, that's who he plays. But it's also interesting that, that he had a role in this Maury Island UFO crash thing. And then Fred Crisman, who I'm not as familiar with as Guy Bannister. Now, was he a CIA agent? Well, that's that's the point not to be missed. Is that Crisman is is active up there in the Pacific Northwest in 1947, and so is Guy Bannister. Guy Bannister is a, is a special agent for the FBI, working in that same area where Crisman is. And then, boom, Guy Bannister is here. Then in 1963, when Crisman, according to Jim Garrison, who was the guy who conducted the most extensive investigation and a prosecution. Uh, on the case. According to Jim Garrison, uh, Fred Crisman was the guy who shot Kennedy from the grassy knoll. So both those guys, Bannister and Crisman, you know, at these key places, you know, almost uh, 15 years apart. Um, and, you know, and, and the idea being that Crisman did such a good job. I mean, remember Crisman, this guy who loaded up the flag in the Kellogg's Corn Flakes box and put it on the plane. God knows what else he put on that plane because that plane crashed, right? Yeah. And he got and he got rid of any official investigation to whatever was going on there. So boom, Chrisman, you did it. You did a fantastic job. You get your choice of assignment. And of course, shooting JFK would have been a choice assignment for a covert assassin like uh, like Chrisman. Well, I want to ask you this. Uh, you know, uh, we have the common friend Greg Bishop. Of course, you know his big book is Project Beta about the Paul Benowitz mm-hmm. case and about Richard Doty and the misinformation uh, that was put out about UFOs, basically to cover up top secret aircraft. Um, was that it going on at the same time? Was that what Crisman and possibly Bannister were doing I- I- even in 1947 that they were, it was some kind of mis or misinformation or disinformation campaign. Um, that it was wrapped up in advanced uh, uh, weapon aircraft weaponry is 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 absolutely true. Yeah. Um, the uh, 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 Garrison's theory, and I should interject here too that Garrison at one time Garrison went on the Johnny Carson show and he took pictures of the the three tramps, you know, the three tramps in the rail yard. Right. That's Chrisman. That's Chrisman, uh, Dahl, and. Um, uh, Correct. Yeah, depending on who you talk to, it could be Chrisman, 
uh, Hunt and uh, Sturgis, you know, the two Watergate burglars. Anyway, he took that photograph on the Johnny Carson show, these three tramps being arrested in the rail yard, and Garrison held it up on the Johnny Carson show, and he was about to say, this man, Fred Crisman, is the guy who shot Kennedy, when Carson took the, the photograph out of his hand, took it down, shut him down, went to a commercial. Yeah. Now, you, you can see, this is actually, you can see this in the JFK movie, in uh, the director's cut of the JFK movie. They got John LaRiquette playing uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, but otherwise, it was, it was, it was like, you know, cut out of that movie. Yeah, we can't um, show this on, we can't show this on television. That, uh, that right. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't name the name of the guy. Well, uh, <laughs> Not here on TV. Do you think that, uh, do you think that it was that Hunt was one of those guys? Uh, yeah, I think a good case could be made for it. Um, I, you know, there's many as nine shooters there, you know, in different teams. Hmm. Um, and you know, you know, I, I favor the, 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 the Chrisman theory, there are actually official police records of, you know, tramps that were arrested that day, you know, because nobody believes anything about the Kennedy assassination. You know, the records can be faked and uh, that, that sort of thing. But my, my feeling, my idea is that, that Garrison probably got it right because he was closer to the facts. He was doing his investigation in 1968, only five years after the assassination. He had, uh, you know, he had re- enormous resources there in New Orleans. Uh, you know, his prosecution certainly failed, but, you know, they pulled uh, everybody there. Uh, they pulled all the jurors in Garrison's investigation. And to a person, they said that they thought the person he was prosecuting was involved, just that Garrison couldn't quite make the case. And yeah. that's why it didn't succeed. I, Otherwise, I, uh, I actually agree know, with I, that. Uh, because I, I, I honestly now when I when I studied it some more, I don't think Clay Shaw was actually involved with the Kennedy assassination, at least not directly. I, I, I personally think that what Garrison was on to with Oswald in New Orleans was some other operation that was just used la- later on to not necessarily that they were sheep dipping. Oswald to look like a patsy because they were going to later use him in the Kennedy assassination. It was just some other operation under the banner of the operation mongoose, you know, to um, infiltrate and kill Castro that uh, was later used um, to accuse and make that he was later used to make him look like a communist later on. But I think it had absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just Garrison stumbled across an intelligence operation, and that you know, if Oswald was involved, then that meant absolutely meant that Oswald was not uh, who the media said he was. Right, right. Well, I mean, just because Garrison lost the case uh, doesn't doesn't mean he was wrong. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. Uh, you know, but O.J. Simpson got off, right? You know, I mean, there's there's it. it, it we we don't have a perfect system of justice. Oh no! And, by, uh, everything, by no means. Everything that Garrison, yeah, and everything that uh, the Garrison did at least uh, comprises. And in fact, you know, in the long run, the government came to concede uh, the largest part of Garrison's argument that Kennedy was killed as part of a conspiracy. It's actually the official view of the government. It has been since the House Select Committee on Assassinations in uh, in the 1970s. You know, the Warren Commission long long ago been supplanted right. by this idea that there was a conspiracy. Right. So, but if you know, 
if you watch the 50-year anniversary CNN special that was part of the 60s, they don't even mention the House Select Committee of Assassinations. That's because they're fake news. <laughs> <laughs> you fake news. Very fake news. Well, you know, interesting thing. Trump is actually right about it. a lot of what he says about CNN. I mean, they're they're smug. They they've got their idea of what they think is right, and uh, they don't allow room for uh, any kind of serious discussion about the assassination or conspiracy. Well, what killed me about that special, and not to get too hung up on this, but they made Garrison. I mean, the guy's been dead now for over twenty years, and they they still were kicking him when he's dead. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'll tell you what. If you see, there was a, uh, a Oliver Stone made a, a documentary along with the movie called Beyond JFK, and there's footage of Garrison on his deathbed, uh, in saying the CIA killed John Kennedy. You know, and uh, you may think that he was he was wrong or wrongheaded, but you know, you watch that footage, you can't say after seeing that footage that he was insincere. You know. What he believed, he believed honestly, and he, you know, he went to his grave believing it, believing it, and telling people oh, this was the case. Yeah, I believe he was. I believe he was right about that for sure. I mean, uh, what do you think about E. Howard Hunt's confession? Um, did he actually really confess? I, 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 it seemed to me that it was kind of vague confession, but he had been virtually convicted of it already, though, right? Uh, By Mark Lane in that plausible denial book. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he wasn't convicted, but he was um, he, he was unable to establish the, the, the fact that he wasn't in Dallas when it happened. Yeah. And so that was Mark Lane's great contribution to, to it. So, yeah, he was there. Like I said, as many as, as nine people. I mean, it's uh, the whole... Incident is rich with all kinds of uh, conspiracy, uh, and yeah. uh, you know everybody. I'm sure everybody has one that they favor, uh, but you know, you, just because you believe one doesn't mean the other things aren't going on concurrently. Actually, you, you know, um, uh, the the big criminal that uh, Garrison identified, the, the real force behind the assassination, was the military-industrial complex. He believed that that uh, that Chrisman was in the employ of Boeing, the aircraft manufacturer, and in fact we have employment records that shows that that Chrisman worked for Boeing, and in fact we also have employment records uh, um, the person who approved his job application when he applied for a job at the Hanford nuclear reactor in the Pacific Northwest was um, I'm going to forget the guy's name now, uh, but he's famous now. He's known as Deep Throat in Watergate. Um, okay. Come on. That's the guy's name. Yeah, I can't remember uh, his remember, name either. I'll remember when the show is over. <laughs> and the thing about, and the thing about the guy is that he was a script consultant for Quinn Martin Productions. Quinn, you know, in addition to whatever role he played in, in, uh, in the government, uh, what the heck is that guy's name? Anyway, as a script consultant, he, uh, he, he did, he did scripts for the FBI. You can see yeah, you can see his name in credits there. That, that, that was a that was a, a television show called the FBI. But they had another television show called The Invaders, which, which you're probably too young to remember. But it was the story of this guy who knew that the alien invaders 
uh, had had come to Earth, and he was trying to convince the rest of the Earth that it was happening, and he never could from episode to episode. Uh, and Chrisman used to say, that show is about me. <laughs> and, uh. you know, people thought, oh, I'm, yeah, you guys are guys full of shit. But here it turns out that the guy who approved his job application for a job that he had at the nuclear reactor in Hanford up there in the Pacific Northwest uh, was was a guy who worked for Quinn Martin Productions. <laughs> We've talked to Robert Guffey. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, we talked about yeah, sure. some of his uh, some of his studies in science fiction authors and how some of the connections to the CIA and how a lot of uh, some of the the projects were actually revealed in some of those writings. Um, we've talked about that too. So there's an interest, and then you know the whole oh. Hollywood thing. You know Argo, the movie well, Argo is just the tip of the iceberg on that. Yeah, let me let me rant a little bit about that. First off, Robert Guffey's an old friend of mine. He's written. He used to write for Steam Shovel Press. Okay, I, I cool. A couple of, but uh, in this in this book that I have on now, this Trumpocalypse Now book, there is um, uh, there's a there's an appendix called um, uh, I think it's Predictive Conspiracy, and the story that I tell in there is the story of a television show called Route 66. Do you remember Route 66? No, I, not physically, but you I know, know I know Route 66. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the idea behind Route 66 was uh, uh, Jack Kerouac and Neil Cassidy driving across America. Right. There's these two guys you know, driving across uh, America. And uh, in 1962, they drive, they, in their drive across America, they come into Love Field, which is where Kennedy flew in that day. One of the guys gets a job at the Trademark, which is where Kennedy was going to go uh, the day he was shot. Uh, at, some, at another point in that episode, somebody picks up the phone and talks to Charles Cabell, who was uh, uh, the, the city official who rerouted the uh, the motorcade to put Kennedy into the sniper's net. There are like four or five other details in this episode of Route 66, which came out in 1962, a year before the assassination. Huh. You know? So this gets back to what we were saying before about predictive conspiracy. Yeah, and Charles Cabell, the mayor of Dallas, was the brother of Earl Cabell, who was a CIA official that JFK fired. Right. Right, right. So, so all these details are being broadcast on national television a year before it happened. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is, that's actually one of three Route 66 episodes that are curious in that way. There's another one in which uh, the guys go into a town outside of Waco called Kill Kenny, and uh, they run into a blonde there who's got, uh, whose, whose initials are M and M. And, uh, uh, you know, this, that whole show has, any number of uh, and and during the filming of that show, there are, there are actually photographs of uh, uh, George Maharis, the star of the show, hanging out at uh, Ruby's Carousel Club. You know, really? this is again before the assassination happened. And then there's a third one about actually about a political assassination that was never broadcast because it was supposed to be broadcast on November 22nd, 1963. Weird. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> I, I just like. Yeah. I mean, it's either just profound synchronicity, or it's, it, or it's someone gets wind of the plans and they put it in there. And and, and you know, it well, reminds no, no. me of the Lone Gunman episode right before six months before nine eleven. Precisely. 
Exactly. Yeah. Six months before 9-11, they, they used something called the Octium chip, which is very much like the Promise software. Uh, and the Promise software, which is part of the Danny Casalero story, the install thing, is a predictive software. That's its whole point is that it's, uh, it's predictive. And, 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 you know, and in that episode, they go to the, to the Twin Towers. Uh, and, you know, there was, there's an episode of The Simpsons that had Donald Trump as president. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Do you know who John Judge is? He, yes, I do. Yeah, um, he's a great, great conspiracy theorist. Is he still alive? And he took no, he died. He died uh, last year. Yeah, he's in a documentary uh, that uh, another guest of ours, Randy Benson, uh, uh, did about called The Searchers. About uh, JFK assassination researchers, right? My buddy Joseph Green is connected to that too. And there's a new book out, uh, 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 um, reprinting of Judge's works called "Judge for Yourself," that people can look up on Amazon. Anyway, his idea, and I, in a discussion I had with him once, was, and he was a he was a brilliant man. I mean, he was he was the core of the conspiracy movement when he was like. Um, his idea is that you know maybe they are you know they've got people, agents working on these plots who are also working as scriptwriters for Hollywood. And yeah. they're just working out the details, you know, <laughs> and right. they're in a script store. Yeah. Right. So God I mean, knows what, when you watch some weird show on television tonight, you know, that might be something that uh, they're actually working on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the predictive programming stuff. And, and, you know, too, I've made the point too, as well. I made it with Robert Guffey on the show that, you know, E. Howard Hunt, I mean, he was all into writing detective novels. And, like, I think that, uh, you know, in the X-Files, the lone, uh, the um, the cigarette-smoking man is writing fiction. Like, he really wants to be a fiction writer. Right. I think that's modeled <laughs> off of some of these guys, too. Um, these low-level... Yeah, yeah, they all have a flair for the the dramatic and that kind of thing. Well, to to get into the book, uh, Trumpocalypse Now, uh, mm-hmm. before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your idea about parapolitics, what that means. Okay, uh, sure. Because uh, Wikipedia to told me... That, I got you. <laughs> hold on. Yeah, hold on. Come on, come on. Come on. All right, guys. I'm going to do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> You can stay out on the porch for a while. Um, Wikipedia tells me that's your big thing, so. Yeah, well, you know, it's not a, it's not a phrase that I came up with. It was, I think it was first used by Peter Dale Scott, who later abandoned it for uh, something that he called deep politics, uh, which is, you know, it's okay. I just, uh, parapolitics just seems like a cooler word. That idea of uh, para, you know, uh, uh, it means to run alongside, parallel, you know. Uh, so it's a kind of politics that uh, runs alongside. I mean, when we think of politics, we think of elections, people running for office, uh, <laughs> the rule of law, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and that certainly does happen. But at the same time, uh, this kind, these kind of politics, assassinations, conspiracies, you know, behind the scenes manipulation, that's all going on at the same time. So it's running along parallel uh, to, to normal politics. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought we needed a word that got us away from just being called conspiracy theorists because the media is so quick to uh, use that as a term of derision. Right. Uh, yeah, it's not very quick to pick up on a term like parapolitics because, you know, it would introduce into the vocabulary a more sophisticated idea 
than 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 what they like to put forward that everything is as it seems that every assassin is a lone assassin that there are no conspiracies and on and on so uh, that's what I tried to do with that word <laughs> you know, I don't know how successful it's been sure I guess I have the, a book called the the same concept like deep politics deep state that same kind of concept yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well you know in some cases a lot of this stuff isn't so deep like I said, you yeah, yeah. Tune, in, tune, in, tune in and watch the lone gunman <laughs> it's on TV. Sometimes you know? it's right and there it's in your obvious. face. Right. You know, in fact, a lot of people believe that uh, that's what happens when somebody, you know, becomes president. The first thing they do is they show them the reels of Ruder film, you know, and they put it right <laughs> in their face. You know, we can do this to you anytime. <laughs> that's what Bill Hicks said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they show you a Bill footage Hicks? of the Kennedy assassination from another angle. <laughs> That's right. That was before. That was before. That was before Bill put on all the weight and became Alex Jones. Right. Right. right, Exactly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, uh, that brings me to my next question, actually, because, like, how do you feel that this conspiracy culture that is really so prevalent now in our society, much more so? I mean, especially with the rise of the internet, it's become much more prevalent than it was 20 years ago. When I was studying this stuff 20 years ago, nobody had heard of this stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't as accessible as it is now. So how do you think that that contributed? You know, guys like Alex Jones, I mean, he's a good uh, case of this because he was so for Trump. You know, how, how did this get Trump elected? Well, well, I'm sure we share some of the guilt for that. Uh, uh, but at the same time, um, the broader culture of ridicule probably did more. You know, I mean, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert probably did more to elect Trump than any of us more serious conspiracy type uh, people. Sure. Uh, because because the point I try to make in the book is that Trump does not represent real conspiracy. He is what I call a conspiracy celebrity. Uh, the other parallel uh, to him would be Jesse Ventura. Who always presented himself as a conspiracy theorist, but uh, when it you know came down to things like uh, you know there were a series of uh, questionable deaths, like the the death of uh, um, a friend of mine, Missouri Governor Mel Carnahan, and uh, Paul Wellstone, the Minnesota senator, a whole series of uh, uh, assassin of, of, of deaths, mysterious airplane crashes mostly, that eventually led to the election of George Bush, W. Bush. Uh, Jesse Ventura never went near that. Uh, you know, he when when uh, Wellstone uh, uh, when they gave Wellstone's memorial, uh, he shut it down because he thought they they were talking too much liberal crap. Uh, and so, but you know, you know, he had, he had a show called Conspiracy Theory, uh, and he presents himself as a conspiracy theorist, but he's not. It's just this. It's like, uh, and many celebrities do this. Uh, Will Smith's another one. Uh, uh, they just, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist. That makes me hipper. That makes me more interesting as a personality. Charlie Sheen would sell. be another one. Charlie Sheen's another one. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and it helps me to sell myself, you know, that in itself is a conspiracy. <laughs> you know, it's like a meta, <laughs> a meta parapolitics. <laughs> so I try to make that point. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I say it's a triumph of the, of the conspiracy spectacle. Uh, uh, the spectacle is, is what it's all about, creating uh, 
you know, some kind of uh, energized idea of yourself as the, uh, you know, the, the, the rebel against the world because, uh, you know, the conspiracy. I mean, you, this, you know, this is going on today. You know, what's very interesting about what's going on today is that, uh, uh, that many, many people are, have been uh, coming to the defense of Oliver Stone, who's, who is an apologist and supporter of these, of Russia, which, you know, which, you know, the, the big thing about Russia is that they are nothing but an assassination squad, an assassination conspiracy. Stone's son, in fact, who was on Jesse Ventura's show, it's like a co-star of Jesse Ventura's show. Yeah, Sean Stone. Yeah. He's on. He's actually on the payroll of Russia Today, which is a, a publication or a, a media conglomerate that's run by Russian intelligence. Right. And there's so many people, and you wouldn't believe uh, the, the the people have had arguments with about about this because they, people fancy themselves as being some kind of, you know, uh, anti-American rebel or somebody who's hit to the the tricks of of the U.S. government that they're not going to buy all this. Uh, what they're saying about Russia, and they're totally ignoring. And I have a whole, there's a whole chapter in Trumpocalypse Now that gives you the photographs and the people of the, the leaders of the Ukraine and uh, uh, the, the writers in Russia who have been assassinated with the polonium radiation and just, you know, killed outright. Uh, you know, it's, it's all right there. And well, uh, yeah, let's go, I want to go over some of that with Russia because this is the big thing right now. You know, the, the Russia collusion. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think Russia had, or maybe even more specifically Putin, do you think that they had a hand in getting Trump elected? Um, yeah, it uh, doesn't seem to be any doubt about that. <clears throat> yeah, you don't? I, I, I do. I do. I, I, I mean... <sighs> I'm I'm kind of mixed on it in some ways because I can kind of see where uh, the Russians are coming from on some of it because Hillary was not going to be conciliatory towards them. Um, I mean, there's a lot well, of history gonna... there, but uh, you know, I I I've, more and more I begin to see, yeah, that I think that there was some some kind of hand. Like it definitely would have served them better or Putin better. To, to have Trump than Hillary Clinton. Well, let, let me make let me make one point about uh, Trump pockets now. Um, back in the nineties, uh, when Clinton was elected, I wrote an article um, for the Washington Post uh, that outlined what I thought were going to be the conspiracies of the Clinton years. It was it was a full page. I was I was amazed myself that they they published it. And Hillary Clinton used it as part of those. They they created a dossier long before, you know, the Golden Shower dossier. They created a dossier <laughs> called something like the conspiracy, the commercial stream of conspiracy commerce or something. And the first thing they used in this report was the article that I wrote for the Washington Post. And it had this theory in it that uh, uh, the 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 foreign press would publish some stories that some people in America would pick up on, and uh, and that's how. Uh, and through this dynamic, that's how conspiracy theories develop. Why they use my article? Because that wasn't foreign press; that was Washington Post. I don't know, but you're not going to, you know, if, you, if you're not going to see in Trumpocalypse now, you're not going to see me defending Hillary Clinton uh, or 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 the Democrats or anything like that. I was, you know, I was considered <laughs> uh, a public enemy 
in the uh, in the Clinton years. So it's right. not uh, a partisan uh, thing. Uh, but above and beyond that, um, the the Russian state is. I, I mean, we have since the Kennedy assassination, we have been trying to tell people that. Uh, the CIA killed Kennedy, or, or you know, it's not the CIA. Somebody in the soup, in the alphabet soup, the DIA, the DISC, the NSA, the uh, you know, the covert intelligence world working on behalf of you know, military in, in, contractors killed the president and subverted democracy. Russia, as a matter of course, does that. You know, uh, and again, there's a whole chapter. The chapter and verse show the. Photographs of all the recent uh, assassinations of the political leaders, you know, uh, uh, and invasion of the They do it as a matter of course. Now, to, get in, to fall into this trap that just because you say that, you are somehow some dumb American who's bought, you know, uh, some some line that the the New World Order <laughs> is is pretty is is what is what is classically known as a false dialogue. Yeah. That the choices are not, you know, the Russian system or our system. The idea is that the global system is corrupt to the core. And, right. uh, um, you know, that, that, that our job of normal people is to try to bring it back into, you know, a, a, a reasonable frame of reference, uh, you know, a reasonable way of living that, uh, you know, that, that we want to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, democratic, fair, equal for it all kind of thing, you know? <laughs> well, you... you- the way that I look at it is that, I mean, there is that, that people tend to get into this melodramatic viewpoint of, okay, especially among, I guess, lack of a better term, conspiracy theorists now about the whole Russia thing is that they would say, well, Russia are the good guys standing up against the new world order. And the way that I look at it is, well, hold on a second. It's probably one group of assholes against another group of assholes. There's no, there, I mean, there's no good, I mean, there's no good guys, bad guys here. It's just two bad guys fighting it out. You know, Russia, well, Russia wants to be the, on top. You know, I would say that the good guys are you and me. The sure. good guys are the, the conspiracy theorists out there. The people who, you know, study this thing, write about this stuff, expose it, you know, do things that, that, that go against all of these uh, domineering, uh, corrupt political systems, you know? Uh, there was a, are you familiar with Nexus magazine? I've heard of it. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of a new agey magazine. They had a thing in there that uh, uh, a couple months ago that, about Michael Flynn uh, <laughs> saying that this was, Trump's pick uh, to head the CIA because he was going to reform the CIA, you know, and we're, you know, we're about as far from that uh, in terms of what we understand about Michael Flynn as, as, as we're, we're going to get. Anyway, that, that whole theory was put in there by uh, Thierry Maison, the same guy who started uh, 9-11 uh, theories way back when the French writer was, was actually kind of well known. And and, also, and since that time, I've seen in Nexus magazine the articles reprinted from Russia today, and without even uh, uh, a nod to the idea that Russia today is run by uh, Russian intelligence. 
You know, yeah. I mean, anybody can anybody can say can can see that. It's an obvious point. Yeah, but it's pretty obvious. Like they yeah. Can. Yeah. And so, so I gotta wonder, you know, um, does does Russia today? You know, and why why is Oliver Stone so much like that too? Why is Oliver Stone? Yeah. Did the movie JFK? How yeah. come? How come he can't see that an assassination program is going on in Russia? He, well, of all people, he should be able to see that. But he soft pedals it and he kisses Putin's butt every chance he gets. It's it's like it's like that's his blind spot. You know, you watch that uh, documentary series that he did, the the uh, Untold History of the United States, and although he has some good points, he does apologize a lot for Stalin. And and that's that's kind of the weird thing about him, is that he will, you know, criticize the CIA and the things that they've done, rightfully so, but then he'll sit down with somebody like Fidel Castro. Uh, Hugo Chavez, who by no means was a, was a dem, was a democratic leader, Mr. President for life, uh, which his successor is now trying to do the same thing, and uh, and, and and Putin, who is not a who's not a dem, believe who does not believe in democracy, but his own brand of I guess Putinism. Right, right. And it's like, uh, you know, the, the attitude is like, uh, you have to choose one or the other of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, why mm-hmm. is that true? You know, why, why do we have to put our, our, our faith in either corrupt system of government? You know, I mean, well, we, we, as Americans, we're supposed to be able to think for ourselves, you know, certainly and question all authority and kind of move forward on what we think is right and not support these you know, corrupt bureaucrats of Russia or America or, or any place. Well, let's talk about some of the people that Putin has killed, you know, some of the dirty things that he has done. Um, oh. Let's go over some of that. I mean, because I think that's important for people to hear, to know that, you know, uh, Putin is no angel. It is the longest chapter in Trumpocalypse now, yeah. and uh, I am not good with Russian names. The major one, of course, is Alexander Litsenenko, mm-hmm. who was killed with... Uh, polonium poisoning, which it, it takes a nuclear reactor to create, <laughs> you know, real lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, like I said, I got the, I got the, the whole list of them. I got photographs of them, the journalists, uh, the, the people who are struggling for an independent Ukraine, uh, you know, they shoot these people on the street. I've got those photographs of them being you know, shot and, and laid in the street. Uh, so, uh, like I said, it's the longest, uh, chapter in the book. I think it's the, Biggest lesson I want to get a, get across to people out there, I, you know, um, that uh, you know what they what they say about you know even if Trump was never involved, <laughs> we don't want to be cozy, cozy with Russia one way or another. You know, another big thing, another thing about the Russian thing is that uh, it's not only an assassination program, but they are heavily invested in retirement programs of major corporations in, in this country, actually even in the university where I work. And uh, one thing that's not happening, it, you know, everybody's focusing on trying to separate Trump from his uh, Russian connections, but what about a divestiture movement to divest ourselves of the money that Russia has poured into our retirement funds? We did that with South Africa, remember, and that worked, you know, divestment. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Uh... You know, like I said, there's no there's no good guy, bad guy here. You know, you've got all the journalists that he has killed. Um, 
you know, uh, people over there in Russia, I mean, they're not exactly happy with their government. But then at the same time, you mentioned the Ukraine. I mean, some of those guys on the other side in, in the Ukrainian government are, are neo-Nazis. So it's like you can't win, honestly. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I guess the idea is that it's a, um, you just got to keep playing the game. You know, you can't uh, uh, <coughs> see in Russia, they don't have a lot of elections here. You know, supposedly we clean the slate every eight years at the most. <laughs> right. Well, just uh, just imagine, I mean, for instance, like Putin, I mean, look at what he does. I mean, he's president for eight years in Russia, and then he lets Medvedev take over and then changes the constitution so he can go back in. He switches jaws with Medvedev again. And it's like, you know, now he's he's going to be in there at least until the middle of the next decade. I mean, this guy, he's not going away anytime soon. But just because yeah. he kind of stands up to America, a lot of the people in the conspiracy world, like Oliver Stone, uh, maybe even Alex Jones. And, 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 and another thing that's been noticed, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Bennett, Dr. Future, um, you know, he talks about how the religious right, especially the evangelicals, love Putin because they see him as the, that he's standing up for Christianity. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's the, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so it's Trump. And so it's Trump. You know, you know Trump's a true Christian too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he quotes two Corinthians. So, um, <laughs> what? You know, my my favorite Bible verse. This came up uh, in conversation with. I don't. Know, have you ever had Rob Sterling on your show? Do you know him? No. He used to do a thing called the Conformist. Uh, he wrote the introduction to Trumpocalypse Now, uh, and we were trading Bible verses. Uh, and my my favorite Bible verse is uh, the shortest one because <laughs> it's easy to remember. I don't like to listen to a lot of religious mumbo jumbo. It's uh, uh, I can almost quote what the scripture is, but it is it's Jesus wept. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the there's a lot of that going yeah. on right now. <laughs> Jesus is weeping a lot. Uh, okay, birtherism. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I haven't plugged. I, I haven't uh, told anybody about how to get the book. Can I do a little commercial for the book? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got to get in here somewhere, right? <laughs> the book is is published by Adventures in Limited Press, which may be familiar to some of your listeners because that's David Hatcher Childress. Have you had David on your show? No, I never have. No. Okay. Well, uh, he publishes a catalog of unusual books, uh, and. Uh, um, see, I don't know his web address. Uh, to get the book though directly from me, um, it, it's you, gotta, you have to send me an email note uh, to k two three thomas at yahoo.com. Okay. Otherwise, otherwise, if, if you want to just get, you can get it on Amazon. You know, you can just look it up on Amazon and buy it that way. Well, you know, Trump wow. when when he first started. Um, you know, all this kind of started with the birther controversy. And right. I kind of want to talk about that, kind of like where that comes from and kind of the impact that that had for him and just, you know, the general conspiracy milieu that that comes from. Well, you know, I don't really 
see that as so much as a conspiracy thing. I have a whole chapter on birtherism, and I go through the history of it. It's an old, old political tactic. Um, yeah, it was, it's been used against John McCain, who was like born in Panama. Uh, and I, you know, and I, 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 I cite like three or four more examples. I think, uh, Garfield, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a tactic. It's, it's just a political tactic and it, it's not meant to, uh, it is certainly meant to, to smear somebody. Uh, but it's not, you know, particularly unusual that a politician would use it. So I kind of, you know, I don't know if it's, Everybody thinks it's really based in racism and all that. I'm sure there's a component of that, that to it. But it's actually a fairly normal dynamic in presidential politics. And, and Ted Cruz is another one because he was born in Canada to an American mother, but right. a Cuban father, as we've discussed. Right. 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 Yeah. I'm going to give three or four more examples in the, in, in the book. Uh, you know, and of course... Trump had to disavow it, you know. So, I, I, you know, people want to make the case that that everything this is all just about racism, um, and uh, you know, there's a component of racism to it, but uh, uh, a lot of it is politics as usual. Which I guess you know, racism has always been part of politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, like Warren G. Harding, there was the stuff about him, about him being like a sixteenth black or something. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's an interesting thing too. But I mean, like uh, the um, the birtherism thing is interesting because I remember, you know, of course, I listening to Alex Jones, one of the guests that he had on. I can't remember who it was, but like um, they said that it, it originally. Well, originally it comes from uh, the Clinton campaign, which nobody realizes. Oh, yes, yes, that's absolutely right. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's a it's a tactic that just naturally would that Clinton would have used. You know, anybody would would use it. You know, trying to uh, throw a cloud over a, a person's eligibility for running for the office in the first place is a very common political tactic. You know, it's just, it's not you know not not, not a, a fair one. It's not nothing to be proud of, but it's it's dirty politics. Uh, but you know, it's not like an assassination or anything like that. Right, right. Uh, I mean, do you feel personally? Do you think that Obama was not an American citizen, or do you think that it's just all crap? Um, I wish. That's an interesting question. I, I haven't actually. You know, I, I followed the debate to the point where I don't think it was settled. Mm-hmm. I'll say that, but yeah, yeah. But I was—if he wasn't, if he, if he's not, you know, it, it's really a technicality, right? Sure. I, I will say though that, like, um, one of the other persons that people that came up with it was, um, or I think her name was Orly Tates, and I mean, that lady has a lot of connections to Israeli intelligence. Uh, yeah, that sounds familiar to me. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, another you know, a person who's been excluded from being able to run for office, although he, he probably would have been successful, is Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, because he was born in Germany. And but you know, he he has his, his political path is the same as Ronald Reagan's. He should have been governor. He should have should have become president. He would have become president yeah. had he been able to run. 
But uh, I point out in the book, though, he has he had all these connections with Kurt Waldheim, uh, who was uh, uh, the, the UN Secretary General, who was exposed as being uh, a Nazi collaborator, a guy who actually was in charge of some of the death camps. And even after it came out, Schwarzenegger stood behind him and you know sent him gifts and all this other stuff. <clears throat> Well, wasn't uh, so, didn't Schwarzenegger know. have a fascination with Hitler too? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have this this real strain of Nazism that runs through our politics. That's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's some, some, it's there's there's some good old American fascism around for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk yeah. about the Clinton conspiracies because uh, you do write a lot about this in the book. Um, you know, Vince Foster is one. Um, and and you, you have some speculation about Vince Foster that it may not have actually involved the Clintons directly, which I've always been suspicious about Vince Foster. That just, there's no way. Yeah. But the big thing, the big thing in the Clinton years was the MENA operation, MENA, Arkansas, Mm uh, that that also involved, uh, there was, there were a couple of kids who were killed in the, in the, uh, and it's the drugs and, uh, gun running operation that um, uh, that colored the Clinton years, but like I said, you know, I, I wrote about that, and you know, maybe a half a dozen others. Uh, and what what the White House did was create this a White House special paper, <laughs> uh, coming up with a nonsense argument that uh, that these things are made up by people in Europe. When in fact, the article I wrote was for an American writer writing for the Washington Post. <laughs> uh, it's very similar. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to the way this, this Russian thing works with Trump. You know, the idea that um, uh, that Americans wouldn't vote for Trump. They had to have been manipulated by the Russians, you know, which I find very amazing. Because, you know, in uh, throughout the 60s, through the 50s and the 60s, the Russians... Uh, you know, if you were a, if you were a, a liberal or a hippie or a dropout, you were a communist. You were a Soviet. You were a beatnik. Yeah. Beat, the word beatnik, you know, comes from Sputnik. It was a it was a Russian smear. You know, so well, the, I didn't know that. <laughs> I not, I did not know that before I read that in your book. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so it's always the Russians. You know, <laughs> there is a big component to this. Uh, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're the, they're, they're the enemy. And if something domestically turns out uh, not the way we want it, then, you know, we blame them. But, you know, which I think that's a very good argument. I'm just not going to put that argument out there. And at, at the same time, say, so therefore let us not worry about, uh, so much of the earth being, uh, taken over by, uh, you know, a Russian government that has an assassination program on a regular basis. Let us remember everything that we've done since Kennedy was assassinated. The, the, you know, the, the turmoil our country has been through trying to get to the bottom of those assassinations. Uh, and whereas they're, you know, and, and we, we see them as just, you know, a series of, 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 of events, a series of unfortunate events that happen. It's hardwired into the structure of the Russian government to just assassinate people that don't agree with the government. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to go there. This we've been fighting against that. And if there was a lesson to be learned about the Kennedy assassination is that we don't want to, uh, you know, collude or cooperate with a government that 
you know, that, that handles itself that way. You know, I mean, it seems to me to be fundamentally obvious thing for any American to understand. <coughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Rob, was there anything yeah. that you wanted to ask? Any questions you might have? Um, no, I like this to put is, him on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> this one is one with a lot of, uh, a lot of new information Watch I'm taking in. Now, Rob. What was you say now, Ronald? Yeah. <laughs> Vladimir. <laughs> Vladimir. <laughs> well, okay. My, I think my next question is, where are we going here with Trump? I mean, how is he maintaining this whole conspiracy narrative? How is he now using this now that he's in office? Well, I remember it took a couple of years for Nixon to, to come down, you know, from the, from the, from the Watergate break-in to the time he finally resigned before he was impeached. It took a couple of years and, you know, he, he fired people and, uh, uh, you know, it looked for a long time that it wasn't really going to happen. And it may not happen with Trump, but you know, the wheels grind slowly, <laughs> the wheels grind slowly. So, uh, I, one thing is that, you know, there's, there's been some talk out there that, that Trump is really tired of this business and he, he wants to leave. Yeah. You know, and uh, so he might let that that happen. But also, you know, lately there's been talk about how he has this tremendous power to pardon people. You know, he just pardoned the sheriff guy, his name I can't pronounce, Ario. Yeah, Joe Orpio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has a tremendous power to do that for everybody that's a. Uh, that's been indicted in these various investigations. And, you know, that's what Nixon was doing when uh, the Saturday night massacre happened. And, you know, they, uh, and he can no longer find people that were going to uh, do his bidding. We have to have, you know, people in our government, it's somewhere along the bureaucracy that, uh, that say enough is enough and, uh, you know, refuse to resign and, you know, push forward with some kind of prosecution. Well, we've had similar things. I mean, look at the shakeup that has happened. I mean, in the weeks before the whole Charlottesville thing kind of took over the news, you know, you had, um, what was his name? The press secretary. Ah, now I'm, now I'm drawing a blank on his name, but you know, he was gone. Uh, uh, he was gone. And then, you know, you had Scaramucci was in there for like two days or something. Then he was gone. Yeah. Rents Priebus yeah. is gone. Uh, Steve Bannon is gone, uh, which honestly, I wasn't surprised that he was gone, but I thought it would take a little bit longer than that. And, and, and yeah. Bannon too, like you don't really mention him too much in the book. Um, but I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, he has some really, strange and disturbing ideas. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, in the seventies, he was part of the, uh, biosphere project. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, God, God helped save us from the fascist. He used to be a hippie <laughs> <laughs> and made all his money off of You're, Seinfeld. Yeah. They're the worst kind. <laughs> And we talked about on this book, on this show about a book that he, um, something saints, I can't remember the name of the book or the, but it's this book about that he, um, 
draws a lot of his ideas on about um, it's a book for, uh, from France and in the book it talks about refugees basically taking over France and this group of people that are kind of like this paramilitary group that go around killing these refugees uh, to save them from Western to save Christendom from from the uh, hordes of the East and and he references this constantly. Now I remember who you're talking about. Yeah, and and, and this this is something that is uh, you know very much evident in like uh, you know Breitbart News now you know his public his publication. Really, it's all kind of acting out this whole uh, scenario. <laughs> right. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, how do you feel about some of these guys? Oh, I, they, the whole group of them have to go. They just have to go. It's, you know, yeah. we're just, it, today, right now, it's a waiting game. These are the most corrupt people that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, they're filthy. They're filthy. And again, I'm not a Clinton supporter. In fact, I think, <sighs> you know, that's, that, I, I don't think, you know, people aren't really, uh, all these, these things are used to manipulate people, but people aren't really separated by, by race, uh, uh, or, or by color, or by ethnicity, or uh, or either whether they're Republican or Democrat or populists or or whatever, those are all artificial separations that are used for political manipulation. What actually separates people is class, and we have you know that that one percent up there that keeps getting richer and richer, while we have this huge population of people that are. Struggling and getting poorer and poorer uh, yeah. as as time goes, as the decades go along. That's a that's a that's a social dynamic that that is going is that is going to change things more than any you know particular political situation at the time. Uh, so uh, I'm not you know and, and it's not like the Democrats have any leadership anymore. You know, even the corrupts to. The Clinton hierarchy is, is 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 gone. They're not coming back. It's like when when Trump first started uh, at the beginning of the primaries, I thought he was actually doing the world a service because he was decimating the Republican Party. You know, he's getting rid of a lot of this old corruption. You know, the Bush family and all this other stuff. You know, yeah. I thought that's great. That's great. I'm glad he's on the scene to to, to do that. I didn't think he'd get this far with it, though. I didn't think he'd actually win like everybody else. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I mean, into I mean, the beginning of October with the grab the pussy comment uh, that came out, which incidentally, uh, you know, who was he on the bus with? Billy Bush. Who yeah. <laughs> is a cousin of the of the of the W and the others, you know, which I thought was interesting. Um, That's cool. That should be called the Bush incident. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, in more ways than it's one. All right? about Bush, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, like it. It was just it, it. It was weird to me that that was in 2005 and was sat on for 11 years. Was it brought out during the primaries? It was almost like they just let, it was like they let uh, Trump get that far and then they brought it out. And I always thought that was so strange. Yeah. Well, also at the time you heard all these stories about, 
who was the celebrity? Tom Arnold supposedly had tapes that were even worse than that of things that that uh, Trump had said. And of course, the Golden Showers dossier, which, by the way, is uh, reproduced in full in the book. But it's re- it's actually really hard to come by online. You can only find like PDF copies that that are very hard to read. Uh, but the whole Golden Showers <laughs> uh, thing, the whole you know prostitutes, you know, pissing on the guy and all that that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, that, you know, in any normal state of affairs, that would have been enough to shut down, uh, yeah. a political campaign. But here it was, it was almost like the, uh, again, the triumph of the conspiracy spectacle, the crowning, uh, uh, the crowning absurdity after, after a whole year of, uh, Trump being lampooned and ridiculed and derided with such relish by, uh, you know, again, with Steve Colbert, uh, John Stewart, uh, every comedian out there. And, and I have suspect that that, that that might have been a very big political force that we, you know, that we've come to enjoy so much deriding, uh, you know, such pompous fools like Trump, that that's why we want him in the White House. <laughs> well, here's a question I want to ask you. I mean, you know, we talked about Alex Jones earlier. Um, and I've I've talked about this where it's regarding like UFO research, like there's a generational gap or a generational struggle within UFO researchers right now between the non-ETH and the extraterrestrial hypothesis people and the non-extraterrestrial hypothesis people, uh, which I would fall in the latter category. But you know, in, cons- in the cons- a big book on it. yeah, in the, the book for this is brief. Reframing the debate. Robbie right, Graham's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We had Robbie talk uh, on about it and some of the other authors like Greg as well. Um, but, yeah. you know, in the conspiracy world, is there a kind of generational gap between well, guys like yourself um, and somebody like Alex Jones, who in some ways kind of uses conspiracy as a stick? And I used to really like uh, Alex Jones, too. I, I really did, but... Right. You know, I agree with you. In fact, you can still see uh, Alex Jones. He's in uh, he's in two cartoon movies. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of them's called A Waking Life, and there was another one. I forget the title of it, but it was based on a Philip K. Dick story. Scanner Darkly, and you can Scanner Darkly, yeah. And you can in both of those, you can see. I think in both of those, certainly in one, and uh, you can see Alex Jones when he's first setting out the, 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 the lone angry guy with a megaphone and a, and a little car <laughs> going around just screaming at the world, you know, saying that this isn't right. And you can really admire that. Uh, it's just that, you know, he was just spoiled by success. You know, now he's kind of this grouchy overweight guy who, who's selling, you know, vitamin supplements <laughs> and, uh, you know, who's as phony as, as everybody that uh, he set out to expose in the first place. Getting coffee thrown on him in Seattle and rampaging yeah. in the and, streets. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, in my world, people have got, you know, John Judge just died. He was a major figure. Dick Gregory, a good friend of mine, right, just died. He was a major conspiracy guy. Um, helped, to, Acharya, helped to put out the, uh, the, the uh, Zabruder film. Right, Dick Gregory and, yep. uh, and Robert Byrne brought uh, brought the Zabruder film to the Geraldo Rivera show in 1975, and uh, uh, Acharya S, my 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 old partner, uh, who wrote the Christ Conspiracy, she she died recently. My generation is uh, of conspiracy writers 
is, is getting old and dwindling. I've got my own health problems. Um, uh, we're getting we're getting smaller. In fact, I declared retirement a couple of years ago. This, this book is kind of a lark that I came back to do this after, you know, 15 or so books. Um, I, I thought, you know, Trump really posed a, a, a bit of a challenge. And, uh, you know, I wanted to set out the clarion call that we got to refresh and renew the whole effort of, uh, you know, a parapolitical dissent in this country because we're getting old and we're falling off. And, uh, 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 you know, and politics isn't getting any less corrupt. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because uh, I was telling people years ago, 10 years ago, when I was listening to Alex Jones a lot, it was about this time that I really started listening to him in 2007. And I was like, this guy really speaks the truth. Like, I really appreciated his whole, you know, both sides be damned approach. And I would tell people about him and they would just kind of look at me funny and uh, go on. And now some of those same people are like, hey, man, have you heard of Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson? (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I was telling you about that 10 years ago. And now I've moved on from it. (laughs) But 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 I just saw I I just saw. Alex Jones getting more and more mainstream. I mean, he'd have the guys on from WorldNet Daily and these type of really ultra-conservative, uh, very well, right-wing yeah. publications. And it just it, – and, it, and he became this – especially when Obama got in, he just became like, okay, I'm going to get on the anti-Obama thing. I'm going to get on the anti-Muslim bandwagon, you know? Right, yeah. And, you know, and he's been, his success has spoiled Alex Jones. You know, he's, he's practically a spokesperson for the president of the United States now. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he, he, he started out as an outsider, which is what we all are. It's where we want to be. You know, we, we want to be outsiders changing the system, which, you know, by its very nature has to calcify and, and, and just, you know, just be bad. I mean, as, as American citizens, we're supposed to be agitators, thinkers. You know, I mean, I, Alex Jones has a very bad style problem. I just can't look at the guy. I think he's going to have a heart attack. He is a pop like He's far more, you know, now he's, he's, he's the poster boy for the angry white guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, our, uh, our friend Micah um, Hanks does an excellent impression of him. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's pretty uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then this whole idea, there's the whole idea that, you know, Alex Jones is just a big fat Bill Hicks who never really mm-hmm. died. Just, My favorite took on theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I love that. It, yeah. it, it, even it just, it, it seems to me like in this respect, in the conspiracy field, I am much more closer to the older generation on, on some of these ideas. Like, cause, because I think a lot of this stuff does get left out of the narrative that is that is being propounded by Alex Jones and, and a lot of other people that are out there. Well, you know, one of the things that happened is, you know, I don't, uh, I don't lecture as much as I used to anymore uh, because uh, it, it used to be like a regular conspiracy conference in uh, uh, Santa Clara or, or in, in other points West uh, that they don't do that anymore. Uh, there, there are always UFO conferences out there. But um, they, you know, in addition to a lot of the main personalities having having died, 
that were the the, the lights of this world. Uh, um, to, you know, the people that that promoted it. There there, there are a few pl- fewer and fewer places uh, to get a lecture gig. Um, yeah. You know. So. What did you think of? Uh... <laughs> oh, go on. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just saying it's just it's just a shrinking thing. It's it's sad, you know. Um, it is. I. I I, I try to try to beat the bushes. Uh, uh, you know, I've been looking for lecture gigs, but I don't even know where to look anymore. Yeah. It's like, nobody wants to hear the details around this stuff. They just want to get the sound bites now. And yeah. uh, I'd like to, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Bill Cooper? Oh, I knew Bill Cooper, you know? Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, Cooper and I, you can even, you can still find it. Uh, uh, find online some of the conversations I had with Cooper. Uh, I just actually what I what I just recently reposted was after Cooper was killed. Uh, I, I came to his defense and I got into an argument with uh, Don Ecker. Do you know Don Ecker? He, I'm familiar with the name. Shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does UFO shows too, and, and I was very surprised actually. Don and, uh, uh, Don, Don hated the guy, and I came to his defense. Yeah. Well, you know, I was. I was, I was, there's no way on Cooper's Cooper's side in many of these things. I just thought he had a right to his point of view, and he had a huge audience, uh, and uh, you know he he got a lot of people motivated, um, and uh, he he you know and he, and he was killed by police authorities. You know you can't uh, can't fault him for not you know giving the full measure for what he believed in, uh, but that also you know deprived him of of any opportunity that Alex Jones had to sell out. And you know, become a caricature of himself. So uh, I, you know, I think um, the hold a pale horse will always be considered one of those classics, classics in the conspiracy literature. And uh, uh, you know, Cooper will, will always live on that way. Uh, but uh, he he had the good fortune of dying an early death. <laughs> That's the book. You're not a real conspiracy theorist unless you have a copy of it, which I do. That's right. So that's right. With that um, very interesting you know, cover. You know who really loved that book? Dick Gregory. Did he really? He did, yeah. Which I always thought was amazing, you know. I don't know if you've ever met Dick Gregory, but... Uh, no, I would have loved uh, to, though. You know, he's a, he's a skinny old black guy and a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. I, you know, I've been on stage with him, like at Martin Luther King rallies down in Memphis and stuff. And uh, the farthest thing you would think of, you know, of somebody, you know, being into Cooper. But uh, he, is, he had his mind open to every conspiracy thought out there, and he always fitted into the mosaic of his understanding of things. I was very fortunate to see him. I saw him in March. I, I should have gone backstage to say something, uh, but, but at least I got to see his performance. Boy, God, but he was, you know, he was really great. And, and his uh, attention to him in the media was eclipsed by the death of Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Big old silly Jerry Lewis. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, what's oh, yeah, <laughs> Ken? What's next for you? And uh, any, any other writings that are coming out? And then you uh, uh, also, you know, uh, just uh, again, uh, tell people where they can where they can get the book. Okay. Uh, well, you know, like I said, I'm looking for lecture gigs. Um, you know, I still I still work as an archivist full time. I have health issues that. that that preoccupy me for some some of the nights of the week, um, so I'm, I'm not as active uh, 
because of that and because <laughs> there's not much to do anymore. There's no, no uh, you know, I mean, if, this, if, if, if there are people out there organizing a conference and they want to talk to an old school conspiracy type person, uh, please get in contact with me at the address I'm about to ready to give you, which is also the address to get uh, Trumpocalypse Now from me. If you want to get like a signed copy, get in touch with me at k23thomas at yahoo.com. Excellent. And uh, yeah, or, or go to Amazon. You know, you can find it. You can find it on Amazon. And also I conduct a regular discussion on Facebook. Uh, so look me up that way and send me a friend request if you want to join in. Uh, I'm getting close. I, I think they have a limit to the number of people. I'm like at five, almost close to 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the title of the book. Why did you choose Trumpocalypse now? The, uh, (laughs) well, it just came, it just came to me. It just like fell out of one. Childers called me up and said, Hey, let's do a Trump book. And it's the first thing that came to my mind was Trumpocalypse now. Uh, which was against what Childress wanted to do. My publisher, he wanted to call it the Trump file. I you like know, Trump Trumpocalypse now better. Almost everything that comes out now is with something files. I mean, X-Files <laughs> has been over with for a long time, but it's still the meme that people want to use. So uh, it just it just, uh, just came to me. Um, you know, it just seemed to fit. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, in the latest Planet of the Apes movie, uh, you see a piece of graffiti in that movie. It says "Ape Apocalypse Now." <laughs> oh, really? I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of references in the in the latest movie, uh, "The War for the Planet of the Apes." There's a lot of references yeah. to like uh, "Apocalypse Now" and some of the other uh, Planet of the Apes okay. movies. It's it's an excellent movie because it references a lot of like Bridge on the River Kwai and those type of films. So. Really, that the Bridge over the River Kwai is written by the guy who wrote the Planet of the Apes, Pierre Boulet, right, right? Right, yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Which well, is you know what I really cool. Was, what I noticed about War of the Planet of the Apes is that it's a prequel. It it ends where the original series of films, and you know, sometime before where the original series begin. Yeah. Which is which is actually a very uh, interesting trend. Uh, almost everything now is a prequel. Like if if you watch Better Call Saul, you know, as a prequel to. Uh, Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a new Star Trek series coming out that's a prequel. You know, yep. I don't understand it because you know you know how these <laughs> stories end. If they're prequels, the Star Wars movies are all prequels now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back and, to sequels now. So on Star yeah, Wars, right, but when, when do we get back to original ideas? <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's very clever though in the new movie because like uh, uh, Woody Harrelson's character in it is uh, kind of like a Colonel Kurtz like type character. In many ways, right? right. Uh, so you, well, you can tell. Trumpocalypse Trump now starts off with the horror, the horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Colonel Kurtz, which is actually it's not Colonel Kurtz so much as uh, Joseph Conrad. Right. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah, all de- all deriv- derived from hearts, heart of darkness, uh, which yeah, is a whole other yeah. thing. Well, excellent, yeah. Ken. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and. Uh, it- well, thank you. It's been great fun. I'm always glad that I still have some attention from somebody out there. Absolutely, <laughs> sir. Um, stay on the line for us, and we're gonna we're okay. gonna close on we're gonna close out the section. But guys, we'll be back on Conspiranormal. 
What if I were to tell you that the forms are not the facts? And what if I were to ask you the shape of water? Water is in a state of constant flow and flux, a paradox of weakness and strength. My name is Aaron David, and I am host of Charm the Water, a weekly podcast centering on the occult and mysticism based in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find us at charmthewater.com or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite pod feeder. Come holler. All right, welcome back to Conspiranormal, everybody. Now, Adam, I know for you this is like a special treat. This is going, yeah. it's kind of taking you back to to where you got into all of this to begin with. And he was part of, a, you know, he seems to know a lot of the people that were, and I'm sure him himself too, as well, were very, very influential to the the um, the books and everything surrounding the scene and stuff. When you got all, you know, when you first started getting into these topics i, I right. could tell just watching you as you're like listening to to this interview that was this was a really cool thing for you yeah i mean i feel like i'm talking to somebody that's been in it for a long time mm. and has definitely done his research and i just i just really enjoyed speaking to the guy and kind of like a, a a nice little give and take with him um, like I said, I, I want to get him back on to talk about the, uh, the octopus stuff because that, that has, uh, you know, like we've mentioned it before, but, um, it, it it's, there's a lot of connections there. Um, what's that all about? Cause you, you've referenced that a few times tonight, but I'm not really familiar with it. As I understand it, and it's been a while, uh, I'd have to read up on some of it. There was a book when I was coming up that I got, God, man, I was probably in high school when I first got this book, so over 20 years ago now, called The 60 Greatest Conspiracies, and it's all full of um, this kind of material, and one of the entries was about Danny Casolaro and the octopus, and Danny Casolaro was a journalist who was following this um, story about the Promise software, P-R-O-M-I-S, which basically was the software that was designed, I think it was put on Department of Defense computers and other computers, that was basically a backdoor for for spying. Kind of similar to what Ken mentioned about uh, Edward Snowden. In fact, a lot of uh, what... Uh, Snowden had revealed was very similar to the to the Promise software. Just, but what he was going was what he revealed was much more advanced than the Promise software. So it gave a backdoor to whatever government or uh, military industrial complex, whatever term you want to use, it um, to basically spy on whoever was using it, corporations, um, military, what have you. And there's connections with Iran-Contra affair and with um, later on some of the same players come up in the 9-11 research. 
like some of the stuff that Rebecca Roth talks about. So it's kind of this, um, I guess, multifaceted conspiracy theory and a lot of these different connections. Probably not explaining it as well as I should, but <laughs> we'll, do, we'll delve deep into it. Uh, other things in that book, um, a lot of a different researchers like Adam Gorightly have also written about, you know, the, the first time I heard about um, the King Kill 33 Degree, the James Shelby Downard material that we've talked about. That was actually episode 33 with Adam Go Rightly, who we need to get back on the show. Um, a lot of that material was in that book as well. So uh, a lot about what Ken writes about, Go Rightly, Greg Bishop, uh, a lot of it is the, the same, similar vein. Gotcha. Uh, Jim Keith was another one of these guys um, that died, conspiracy researchers we mentioned who died kind of under like really mysterious and suspicious circumstances. Ah. So there's, there's a lot there to that. And I, like I said, I want to really follow that up with him. What did you get out of that? Um, <laughs> well, we delved into so many different topics there that, um, I I can't really say for sure. I I need to listen to our own show <laughs> in order to pick yeah, up on all the yeah. the detail of it. But um, I mean I I love the fact that we're retouching on the um, uh, basically how how conspiracies led towards Trump becoming president. Because looking back now on the election cycle. And having been like inside of it at the time, like I didn't realize how much of that was going on. Yeah. But I, I remember hearing so many of my friends being like, Well, I gotta vote for Trump because, you know, well, these assassinations are on the Clintons, or I gotta vote for Clinton because Trump is tied to Russia. And it, there was very little talk on policy outside of the ridiculous stuff like, you know, the wall or you know, uh -huh. putting coal miners back to work, which was just both were just pipe dreams, to, you know, obviously just a platform to get elections anyway. The, you know, it's like most people were voting for one or the other based on, um, whichever stories they thought were true, like the lesser of two evils kind of a thing, but it was all right. like mudslinging propaganda stuff. So, I mean, it, it's, I, I need to kind of look back at that a little bit harder too, because it's just crazy how that all went down. Studying this and being in this world for as long as I've been in it. You know, when Trump was campaigning, I could see a lot of this. Especially, you know, we talked about Alex Jones. How I really believe that somebody at a certain point in his campaign said, this is what you need to be talking about. This is what's kind of in the 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 unconscious collective consciousness of people right now. What your base is going to really be be hitting on is this kind of conspiracy stuff, and I think that they really use that in probably a really ingenious way for him to get elected. 
Because mm-hmm. as I've said before, there's people out there that really think that Trump is like the second coming of JFK. They really see that. And like, I don't personally see that. I don't think there's any comparison between the two men no. at all. But because they perceive Trump as taking on the same forces that maybe JFK took on or what he faced, they think, oh, well, this guy is going to is going to change everything. But we're kind of already seeing where he's kind of letting some of these people go from his administration. And maybe the more conservative, not as prone to these conspiracy theory ideas are now more taking over. But he's still, in many ways, not as controllable as those people might think like for instance, um, Rance Priebus, the uh, chief of staff was let go and he was replaced by uh, general Kelly, who was the Homeland security secretary. Basically he took over that job, chief of staff in the white house. And when the Charlottesville thing happened, I remember when Trump came up there and he, that he gave that, initial press conference and he's talking about both sides were wrong. And there's some point to that. I think maybe he could have worded it a little better, but then they had that Monday afterwards where he said, well, he condemned the neo-Nazis. And then the next day he comes out, and they bring him out for this press conference, which was supposed to have been about, what was it? It was about some kind of uh, job creation or something, or, or it was about in, um, infrastructure, improving the infrastructure, which is a very real need. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and, there's an issue that we should have been talking about during the election. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, he's come, so he comes out there to talk about that, and the press people begin to bring up Charlottesville. And Trump, being Trump, speaks his mind, says what he wants to say. And you can kind of see General Kelly off to the side, just kind of with their heads down, like, you know, he probably shouldn't be saying this stuff. He's just digging his digging his grave even deeper with the press. But, right. Trump, but the thing is, they don't realize that Trump doesn't care. So here, <laughs> so here we have a president that isn't controlled by these people that are even his own handlers. So... Which I don't have a problem with that. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of nice to be able to see into who our president really is. It's just yeah. a shame that we're seeing into the president that we have. <laughs> right, right. I'm still not 100% convinced that uh, Trump is absolutely as horrible as people say that he is. And it's, but it's kind of a vicious cycle because you've got the press going against him, but that makes people even more supportive of him because they see the, the narrative, which is kind of the conspiracy narrative and very valid points that the press is an arm of the deep state or the military industrial complex or whatever. So Trump just continues that 
he still continues that vein appealing to that conspiracy crowd, the new conspiracy crowd that's out there. And I think Ken's point is that, you know, what he's worked on his entire, but most of his adult life is now being used for this political gain by this guy. Probably really personal gain. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens, honestly, as far as Trump is concerned. Is he going to go away? Is he going to resign and let, let Pence take over? I was reading something uh, about these pardons that, you know, he just pardoned Joe Arpaio, as we mentioned. And this person was speculating, I think it was BillMoyers.com, this writer was speculating that Trump was going is actually going to pardon people like Mike Flynn. He's going to pardon as many people as he wants to do, maybe even pardon himself from a, from whatever wrongdoing and that he's just doing that because he knows he's on his way out and he just they're going to let he's going to let Pence take over. Are we going to be better under Pence? I don't know. I mean, Trump compared to Pence, I mean Pence looks like a boy scout compared to Trump. So be interesting to see what happens as far as all that goes. But yeah, politics. Ugh. And the reason why, you know, I want to address this too. Like we haven't talked about this as much on the show. Cause you know, last year we talked about um, politics a lot because of the election. And then after we dropped it. And a lot of that was conscious on our part because I had this one review that I had to agree with on iTunes, which, by the way, we'd love some more iTunes review. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, but it it said, you know, it's a great show, but lay off the politics, which is why I kind of wanted to start off with some paranormal stuff tonight. Right, right. As far as <clears> the what we talked about, the Teresita Bassa stuff. Because to me, that's... Well, and my, my opinion has always been that... Um, you know, we we are. It's conspiranormal. You know, it is. You know, the the conspiracy side of it is heavily tied into to politics, right? Into governments, and that's you know, that's how it is. It's gonna it's gonna rear its head, and there's gonna be stuff that's gonna give me anxiety <laughs> the next day. But like, you know, that's as long as it has that that we're delving into something that we're, we're not sure what's going on. We want people to think about it and we want to think about it ourselves. Then we, we got to talk about it. So, and as Ken says, you know, parapolitics above politics, what, you know, what's really behind the scenes. Right. Plus another thing too, has been that so much happens all the time with Trump. It's so hard when we do these shows (laughs) where we're like, you know, cause we do shows sometimes we'll do two in a day so we can get one out that we can take a break the next week or something is is happening in our lives that we want, you know, hey, I want to, like, you know, for instance, next week I'm going out of town and this show is going to be posted after. So it's like we can't always cover everything that happens. I mean, it just, we would just get bogged down in that. And this just, this just isn't the show to do that. You know, maybe we need to do like another kind of show where it's just the political stuff. But, Speaking of which, I talked to uh, our good friend, Mr. Jeff Hine, yes, about doing a uh, historical show okay. where we sit around, drink whiskey, smoke cigars, and talk history. Okay, I'm down. If any of y'all are, are interested in that, let us know. <laughs> we will make it happen. 
Absolutely. Well, um, just a little bit of show um, business. Uh, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be taking a break here. Uh, for us, it's three weeks. For the listeners, it'll be about a week and a half to get another show. After today? After today, yeah. Oh, wow. But uh, we will be back, and we're actually going to talk about a paranormal topic. We're going to have uh, Chad and Alta Dillard on to talk about some of their strange experiences, which I've heard them on other shows, and I'm really psyched to get into this with them. Uh, their book is called Orbducted in the French Quarter. So, Ooh. very interesting. She sent me, a, uh, sent me the book, and it was funny because I got the book today, and have my address on it, but it had Soraya's name. So <laughs> I told Soraya we were becoming the same person now, apparently. So, uh, Rob, just real quick, tell everybody about Patreon, uh, where they can send us some money and to help support the show. Yeah, check out our growing Patreon account at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, we got different tiers on there. There's bonus episodes. We release about one a month on there. Uh, just a way to support the show if you like what we do and you want to help us out because you know it does cost us money. It takes a lot to, to keep us running every every month. Uh, and another simple way you can help the show out, like Adam said earlier, is just a, a good review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever yes. you listen to the show and just spread the word. And if you don't want to become a patron, we do have a donate button that goes straight to PayPal. That's right, on our, our website, website conspiranormal.com. Absolutely. And I'm sure that Luke would have something really profound and nasty to say at this point he'd just be whining that he's hungry at this point yeah he's want to go want to go to taco bell. bell or something yeah there's like there's like two like big gulp glasses from thornton's and like a dog <laughs> bite beer bottle here over by luke's couch which he doesn't drink normal beer he has to drink something like called dog bite you know it's just like littered over here in the in giant the orange can <laughs> yeah yeah the the the, the tall boy All right, guys, Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back in a little while on Conspiranormal. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.